Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today. My name is Paul Harris, um, and I am privileged to serve as pastor of Victory Church of Charlottesville, where we exist to see people reconcile to God and to each other. Um, and if you've been with us in the month of May, you know we've been in a sermon series entitled Mental Health Matters as a part of Mental Health Awareness Month in the month of, of, the month of May. Uh, and we, we, we set this sermon series up, of course, uh, before even the end of 2019, not knowing uh, come March, we would be in the midst of a pandemic that we've not seen uh, in, in our lifetimes for sure. And certainly uh, we, we didn't want to, though in some ways we have grown, not accustomed to, but familiar with the manifestations of a much deeper issue in America that by way of racism and white supremacy, didn't know these specific events would be occurring um, in the week that we'd be having this conversation. And nonetheless, we're here to discuss faith, mental health, and crisis, though we can say crises now. And, um, and I'm excited, um, not about the crisis, but that we have with us uh, an expert who can help us to walk through what it looks like to care better for our and others' mental health. We have with us Dr. Kim Sanders, a local psychiatrist here in Charlottesville, who is here to help us conclude this sermon series, though we never conclude the conversation, of course, around mental health and, uh, and our faith. So before we even jump in, I just want to pray for, uh, for our time. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this day that you have made. We thank you for the opportunity to share today. I pray that as we do and we hear from Dr. Sanders that you would uh, do something on, inside all of our hearts, soften our hearts in ways that we can better care for ourselves and for our neighbor. Uh, give us a deeper even understanding of your definition of that and what it looks like to serve our neighbors and ourselves well as it relates to our mental health. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Dr. Sanders, it's uh, great to have you with us today. Great to be here. Yeah, we're going to jump in and, and for the next 30 minutes, just uh, uh, give an opportunity for you to share. And for folks watching, we'd love for you to, to put some questions in the uh, chat box as well, the comment section as we go along, because we'd love to, um, to speak to those as well. But uh, Dr. Sanders, how about I just start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So um, my name is Kimberly Sanders. I am a psychiatrist. Um, I'm in the Charlottesville area. We've lived here for about six years now. Um, we are members at Victory. Um, we basically, I am a psychiatrist that focuses on trauma. I work at the Veterans Hospital and have worked there um, for about the past five years. So a lot of my patients do have um, diagnosis related to trauma, such as PTSD, um, also see a lot of depression, anxiety, substance use disorder, really ge a generalist. But, you know, with the population that I work with, I do see a lot of, of trauma-related disorders. Um, so my focus is managing that. We manage that with medications, but also with lifestyle modifications and things that we can do to um, help us overall. I try to use a whole person approach. And I believe that's probably, you know, the, the direction the field is heading in general, in that we're trying to look at what has happened to actually cause the distress in this person's life and see, you know, what things that we can do to, to help that may not be just medication. That's so great. And, and maybe we can just open up with even how you have seen things change over time in, in terms of the mental health field, but um, 
even before the pandemic and then certainly after the pandemic, just what you're seeing in terms of challenges and opportunities toward that end? Sure. So challenges, the, the things that my patients have told me um, that have been challenges before and even now has always been, a lot of it has been related to the stigma associated with mental illness. So a lot of the challenges are, you know, people being able to identify that they have a mental illness, um, being able to access care appropriately, and then also being able to follow through with their treatment. So those have always been challenges with mental health care, and those have just been exacerbated by the pandemic in that, you know, there was a moment when all of this happened that the, the system was stunned and we didn't really know exactly how to move forward. And during that time of transition, some services just stopped um, while people were actually planning on how we were going to change and adjust to, to meet the needs of the community. So during that time, a lot of where everyone is stressed, uh, a lot of patients actually were not able to get in to see their providers. Um, I will say specifically because, as Pastor Paul said, you know, when we originally planned this, he planned this before we knew any of this was happening. When I got on board, it was more about the, um, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. And then now we've had the, these issues of race resurfacing again with the death of George Floyd um, and many others, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, um, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, in a very short period of time. So... We also have to look at that in terms of how that's affecting specifically black and brown communities. And before the pandemic of um, the COVID-19, I was hearing a lot more from my black and brown patients that they were experiencing more anxiety, uh, more trauma-related symptoms. So like irritability, feeling hypervigilant, feeling on edge, um, just given the climate and how it's changed over the past few years. And you talked, I mean, you talked about trauma, that being a big piece of, of, of the kind of uh, the work that you're doing and the clients that you get to see. And I can't help but think about the trauma brought on um, to all of us and certainly black and brown individuals, given the murder of George Floyd and all that you mentioned. Um, and I'm wondering, at least for me, I'll tell you this past couple of weeks has just been exhausting. Just mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, just exhausted. Every night going to bed feeling like I just can't anymore, right? Like I'm just tired. And, I'm, uh, and so self-care, if we can talk about that for those watching, myself included, what are some ways, tips, strategies, um, or anything else you'd want to define or share with regard to self-care might we uh, want to be considering? Okay. Well, I think the first thing is your framework. And exactly what you said is that this is traumatic. So what we're experiencing right now with COVID-19 is a collective trauma. And that means that everyone is going through the same traumatic experience. And although they may be, the details of it may be different, um, it's when a community basically has a trauma that they experience together and they have feelings of helplessness, isolation, and disorientation. So we have that with COVID-19. We have the addition with the Black community in terms of all of the, the deaths that we have been you know, witnessing um, over the past several weeks. So the first thing is to allow yourself grace. The first thing is to not say, oh, this is a break, or this is time for me to do something, learn a new skill. Um, 
I read a, a meme that said, you know, this is the first time we've been forced to sit alone with our thoughts. And we're like, no, we will not do that. I will learn to bake bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of been, a lot of us have been saying, okay, we'll take this time to learn new skills. But really and truly, you know, we don't have to come out of this with a new skill. You don't have to come out of this starting that business that you plan to start. It may not be the time for that right now because what we're experiencing is trauma. So for some of us, even just getting into a regular routine has been challenging. So in terms of tips, I think when you have a group of people that are feeling overwhelmed and exhausted and just like, I can't do, the first thing I usually focus on are things that you can cut out. So rather than things that you can add on to your routine to make you feel better, I like to focus on things that you can cut out. One of which is um, social media. So as I say that as we're on a Facebook Live, right? But (laughs) I think that it is important to limit our time on social media because you can't unsee certain images. You can't unsee certain facts. Particularly in the beginning of the pandemic, there was lots of information coming at us very fast that was changing quickly as well as the news coverage of what has been happening um, with racism in America and the deaths of these um, of George Floyd coming at us fast. And you, like I said, you cannot unsee them. So you may need to take a break. And that may mean um, t- having some dedicated time to social media and then you're done with it for the day. That may mean coming off of it altogether. Um, some of us, because of the social isol- isolation that has been Uh, force or the physical distancing that has been uh, forced with COVID, we've been utilizing social media more. And I think that what we can do is depend on a friend. If you need a break and there's something that you may need to attend, ask a friend, something's going on, let me know. And then I can log in specifically to that thing. But you don't have to stay abreast of everything. Um, You know, you can do that with your spouse. You can do that with a friend, even with the news. You can just say, you know, I want to be, you know, an informed citizen, but I can't watch the news right now. Can you please just let me know if there's something that I need to look into that's urgent that I know right now? Um, So that's that's the first thing that I'll usually say at times like this is to is to take a break um, from social media. The other thing is to just set boundaries around your time. I think with a lot of people shifting to working from home, there's this sense that I should have a lot more time to do a lot more things. And again, that's not having extra time doesn't necessarily increase your capacity to do more things. Because again, your your brain right now is being flooded and filled with all of these stressful things that you're dealing with. And you're somewhere in your mind, you're tending to them. Somewhere in your mind, you're tending to okay, you know, are my, what is going to happen in the fall when it's time for my kids to go back to school? Or, you know, what all of the questions that have come up and the uncertainty that has risen given what we're facing lately. So create some boundaries. You don't have to say yes to everything just because technically that hour is empty. That hour can stay empty. That, that's an okay thing. And we probably at this point need some more time. You know, there's the, the sense that, thing, that we're supposed to come out better after this. And I think if that is the case, I don't see better for us as Americans being necessarily doing more. This is probably a time for us to learn what kinds of things we can cut out now and possibly cut out permanently to make our lives be, make us be able to function on a level that seems more manageable on a day-to-day basis. That is, that is so helpful, all of it. And um, there's a question here I want to 
tie into what you were just sharing, Kate, uh, Kate Sylvester um, references a book that speaks about post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm -hmm. And her question is, uh, how much of the violence of the past few days is linked to the chronic trauma of Americans of African descent? And, and so, uh, so there's a lot to that question. And, and clearly you can sort of speak to it through the lens of your work. I'll, I'll, Kate, if it's okay, I'll just share some thoughts um, just quickly off the, before we, we give it to Dr. Sanders. But um, I heard some friends of ours who do a Monday night um, Q&A regarding COVID and they talked about how the virus knows no borders, talking about the coronavirus. And, and so when I looked at your question, Kate, my first thought was around trauma uh, not being discrete in its orientation, right? There aren't borders that say that happened then and it's not relevant now. And so there's certainly been a legacy, if you will, of disenfranchisement, including trauma, in this case for uh, black and brown folks that, that no doubt needs to be unpacked a little bit more in terms of just how it's impacting us. Um, but Dr. Sanders, I'd let you kind of take it from there. Does anything you want to add to how the violence, again, of the past few days is linked to that chronic trauma of Af Americans of African descent? Well, I, I do believe that they're, they're directly linked, that trauma is cumulative. And that's what all the research shows, is that it's not that you can really isolate these traumas, that after a while, they begin to build up um, and begin to affect a person. So the symptoms of PTSD are um, avoidance, feeling like you need to disconnect from people, mood disturbances, usually some sort of re-experiencing of the traumatic event. Um, and I think that with post-traumatic post slave syndrome, where we are, that is our history. That is what is passed down. And although our history is rich and there is a lot to it, that is part of the history that has been passed down. And there has been research about how trauma can get passed down through generations, whether intentionally, um, what not intentionally, but whether through storytelling of actual traumatic events, um, and also just through some of our behaviors, um, how we may be more cautious in certain situations and our children pick up on that. So they're directly linked, they're directly triggering, and I believe that is probably what is um, one of the factors affecting this exhaustion that Pastor Paul was talking about. Because I've, I've heard that across the board from many Black people that we're just tired. At this point, it's a physical exhaustion. And you know, I, I know for Black women, there's actually been studies in terms of how we, how we talk about depression and black women in particular are more likely to relate feelings of fatigue than they are to say i'm feeling depressed or sad so i think in general uh, culturally we we tend to have these somatic symptoms that come along with our mood symptoms and i think that heaviness and that fatigue is absolutely related to the trauma that has just happened um, that is triggering to the trauma that we have experienced since birth through basically having to deal on some level with racism in America since we've been born. Yeah. Great question, KK and, and Dr. Sanders. I, I wanna quote a lot of what you just said in, in addressing that question uh, in other spaces. Thank you. Uh, we, 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 we are people of faith. We, we love Jesus Christ and, and our faith informs so much of what we do. And I'm curious in your space, how does faith inform the work that you do? Well, I think the, the first thing is, is that 
there's a different approach to a person when you look at them and realize that they are created by God intentionally and purposefully. And that makes it so that when I sit down with a person, um, I'm grateful for the experience to look at them in that way because it, it bridges the gap between people that maybe um, I wouldn't otherwise have a conversation with, people that are just very different from me, that I'm able to sit down in a position and help them because I know that God loves them and that God has put us together for a reason. So I think that is just the overarching way in which it helps. Um, the other way is that sometimes I have to have difficult conversations with people. And I think that one of the things that I do, definitely before I know that I'm going to have a difficult conversation, but over my practice, I pray that the spirit of help will be what is heard. That if I fumble the words, that if I don't say the right thing, that the person in front of me knows that my, that I would like to help them, that I want to see them leave this encounter better. And I believe that many times that God has allowed that to be conveyed when I got the words wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm really just, I'm, I'm grateful to have that and to, to have seen that in my practice. Are, are there any, I know, well, I don't know, but I, I don't think in your practice there's like an explicit mentioning of chapter and verse per se, but are there scriptures that you stand on personally as it relates to your practice in psychiatry? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the ones that is in psychiatry and then just with everything that is happening in the world right now is be anxious over nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And and the promise in that in the next verse is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts. And I think that for me, it's a reminder that the promise is not that things are always going to go how we expected them to go. And that if we ask God that he's going to fix it in the way we expected him to fix it, the promise is the peace. And that through prayer and through our relationship with God, we have access to a peace that we can, we have when it doesn't make sense to have peace that we have in the middle of a pandemic that we have while we're watching people getting killed. That's something that we have access to. Um, And that really, I have to hold strong to just in dealing with human suffering, you know, in the, in the way that I do. Yeah. That's so good. And I, and I want to, and by the way, if you have questions for Dr. Sanders, please drop them in the comment box. KK, thank you for that amazing question earlier. Uh, but I've always got questions, so I'll keep asking away. Um, there's something, and, and you've, we've touched on it in, in, in many ways already, but I want to come back to this particularly uh, well, more generally as it relates to mental health, um, but definitely in, in terms of the black and brown community, there are uh, barriers to accessing or even seeking out. Like you spoke with regard to black women, for example, and calling it fatigue versus depression. Um, are there, what, what ways do you find that, that you can demystify the stigma or shed light on what is um, not weakness, right, around mental illness? And, and what can we be more thoughtful of for ourselves and, and, and maybe even share with others in our sphere of influence toward that end? Mm-hmm. Well, I think education is key. You know, I think it's important that people have an understanding of what mental illness is and that it's a real thing. And I, and I see that happening. You know, I see since my training, I see the shift. And I specifically even see the shift within our communities. I see Black churches even talking more about mental health. And I think that that's important. 
Um, I think it's important that mental health is not separate from physical health mm-hmm. because we're talking about, you know, our brain, which is an organ and people very clearly understand, you know, stroke, you know, our brain has an insult and then there are these deficits that happen and that seems okay. But then the idea that the brain can affect our mood seems hard for us to grasp. And a lot of, and the interesting thing is working, you know, in psychiatry is that a lot of times we call, we get called for stroke patients because after a stroke, a lot of things that happen are mood changes, um, personality changes, because it's your brain. They're, they're one and the same organ. So I think even just an understanding um, and an acceptance of that, just physically, we're working with an organ and organs can become dysfunctioned or diseased and we can work on that to help, I think is one, one approach. The other thing is, I think in general, we have to watch what we say and how we say it. I think we, we need to make sure that we're not even suggesting to people that they can somehow will themselves better. Um, you know, I think a lot of times that is the case of just like, well, you don't have anything to be depressed about, or what are you anxious over? And, and sometimes in the church, you know, the, the scripture that I just quoted is almost used against people with anxiety to say, you're not supposed to be anxious. You're a Christian. You should have faith. You should have peace. And, you know, we're dealing again with illnesses, you know, and I think that it would, we have to meet the person where they are and understand that they may not be able to do some of the things that on the outside, it seems like, oh, if they just did this, it would be better. They might not be able to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to be there to be able to help. Uh, so I think first thing is to open up and be, be willing to understand another person's experience from their side and not from where you're sitting. That is so, so liberating. Um, Dr. Selena has a, uh, a question for you, Dr. Sanders, and it's, can you speak to the trauma of white supremacy and its impact on white people? Um, it's really easy, she says, for people to think that, for white people to think that they are unaffected by it. So I do think that I, I've seen you know, most of what I've seen and been focusing on is in the black community and then I see the response um, of the white community. And I think that it can be really challenging for them, um, for people that do not hold those sentiments um, to figure out how they're going to, how they're going to deal, um, basically. Because the thing is, if you, if you don't feel that way, you know, you can, you're also traumatized by the fact that someone died. I mean, that the, watching someone die on a video is traumatic, period. So, you know, then you have, you add the context of race, but we also all are experiencing a research or not a resurgence, a a new phenomenon in that we're watching people die um, on tape. That is new. That's not something that used to happen. So I think we all are sharing the collective traumatic experience of, of what it is to see this actually happen and to feel powerless. And I do think that they are experiencing, um, you know, white allies are experiencing trauma um, just in a diff to a different degree. Um, and, and I think it's just important for everyone to know what it looks like. So what you expect when faced with a trauma is, you know, it can disturb your sleep. You can find um, yourself having intrusive thoughts. So what we mean is, you know, the thoughts just kind of popping into your head at times where it's not actually helpful for you. You may find yourself having to avoid whatever the the thing that is triggering it is. So I don't think that that is limited 
to black and brown people. I do think that uh, white people can also experience similar traumatic um, trauma related symptoms based on what we're going through. Thank you, Dr. Sanders. That, you know, we, we, we talked, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few weeks ago about lament and we were in Psalm 13 and, and we talked about protest and petition and praise and, um, and this idea that we can simultaneously uh, hold those spaces in lament. And the question I have for you is in the midst of clear pain, agony, distress, um, Jesus has promised to be our hope, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to connect that to the mental health space in particular. Where do you see um, amidst the stories of there not being enough hospital beds available, et cetera, in mental health spaces, where, where, where is the hope in the mental health field as it relates to trauma? Where do you see, um, where do you see that? Oh, I, I see people coming together. Mm-hmm. And I see people, the resilience and the creativity of people. And, and those things uh, really are transformative. I see, you know, what we have done, you know, the, the birthday parades, people driving by and things like that. Um, I've seen uh, artists producing artwork related to the times. I've seen the, the versus battles um, that have been. Those are creative and fun things. Today is actually the... Um, gospel one, right? Uh, Fred Hammond and I think Kirk Kirk Franklin. Oh, yeah. 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 So there's just been a lot of creativity and resilience and actually community because I think this really made us remember how much we need each other. Mm. Uh, So I see us coming together in that way. And that's always a help for mental health because we're created to be in connection with one another. We're created for community. So I see that we're holding strong to that. And whether it's through virtual meetings, um, sending each other letters, uh, I see that people are really focused on, you know, not isolating, you know, physically isolating, but keeping that social connection. Yeah. There's um, another question that kind of comes on the, the, the heels of Dr. Salinas question that I want to mention. So I'm going to do that one first. Rashida, and then I'm going to come to you. I see your question there too. But the question, as we get ready to close here, this time went really quickly, um, is, uh, and this is from Kate Sylvester again, Dr. Sanders. She says, seeking out answers from African-Americans for action and assurance for a fix slash answer, she says, is dangerous. How, how can and should white people orient their questions to respect, love, and care for the traumatized? Um, that's one question. I'll throw the other one in there, but I'll repeat it later. Rashida then is also asking, how does she help her black sons navigate the trauma? So Kate is saying, how do white people orient their questions in wanting to learn, if you will, um, to respect, love, and care for the traumatized? And then Rashida saying, how do I care for my black sons in this trauma? Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing to do is to check in with your black friends. And, and if you have questions, to, to, to ask if they are able to hear them at this point. Because I think there's some people that may be willing to answer questions that some people are like, nope, not right now. So I think a first, the check point is, I have questions, I wanna help. Can I ask you right now? Um, I, I don't want to make things worse for you. So if that was not the time, I can wait. Um, I think there's also lots of resources. I saw something um, going around on the internet about resources, um, exactly what you're asking, like resources for white people who want to do more and who want to learn more. And it was a compilation of, of resources. And I think I see more of that uh, available. 
you know, I saw some resources on white parents educating their children um, about racism. Um, I've seen about how do you, and, and exactly the question that you asked. So I do think that people are writing about it and that there's information out there. So if you don't feel that you can, that you can ask um, a black person in your life, that there's sufficient information out there that you probably can get a good starting point. But for as for the people in your life, I think that you ask them where they are right now. And if they're not open to questions right now, you just respect that. Um, you ask them what you can do and you check on them. You check on them the same way that you would anyone else that was hurting. You know, if someone out if someone was in the hospital, if someone had been physically hurt, you know, what do you do in that case? You you text them, you ask them if they need anything, can I help you? If they say you're doing too much, you'd say, okay, is it okay if I just check on you once a week to just make sure that you're okay and to see if you need an ear? Those are the things that you can do. Um, and I think people will be quite clear. The other thing is the expectation of a response. I think that right now, um, being open to and prepared for the fact that when you do engage with a Black person right now who is currently hurting, they may not have a smile for you. You know, even if you're saying something very kind and very, very, very loving, they just may not have it. Um, and to not expect that and to not let that deter you. Um, and to add to the question about what do you say to your boys, I think you, you, you have the conversation with them. I'm not sure how old your kids are, but my, my fallback for children um, is always to just maintain an open dialogue and also to tell them how you are feeling about a situation. They don't know what we're all, what all the adults are dealing with. They don't know how we're feeling. So I think, you know, depending on their level, you know, you can let them know how you're feeling and open it up as to how do you feel about this? Um, have you been feeling scared at all? Um, and just, and, and understanding that, you know, you will have to do this several times. It's not a one-time discussion. You will several times have to go back and open it up for them. Um, for example, how I talk to my kids about it. Um, my son is five and I said, <coughs> you know, some, some people that are in power um, really hurt someone. They did something very bad and some people in power did something to hurt someone and we are working to make sure that that doesn't happen. So they know that I went to the protest yesterday and I told them that that's what we're, that's what we're doing. That's one of the ways that we tell people and we stand up and we say that this is not okay and we won't let it happen again. And that seemed enough at that moment, but the conversation will need to continue because they pick up things. They hear what's going on. Um, so we have to make sure that whatever information they're getting is coming from us. That is so great. Dr. Sanders, we are, uh, we are actually out of time today, but I want to just, just highlight how God sees all of us. He does. He sees, he saw the blind man. He saw, uh, uh, he saw Elijah in his distress. He, he saw the poor woman who put her two copper coins in just like the rich man put in his into the temple treasury. And I'm thankful uh, that he uses people to see us. And the work that you're doing is like God seeing those who can often go unseen um, due to the ongoing stigma around mental illness and so forth. So thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. And I'm going to put a side by side for a minute so we could see us together. Uh, thank you for the work that you are doing. Uh, thank you for the blessing you are on this entire Charlottesville community. I know our communications team uh, 
uh, under Ashley Farr's leadership. They're going to be posting some of the resources that you sent. So thank you. We'll have those here in the comment section and likely on our social media as well. Um, and family, if you're just joining us, uh, this will um, we're recording and it'll be posted. Uh, so you'll get to hear Dr. Sanders' words at a later date. So thank you again, Dr. Sanders, for joining us. Um, is there anything else, some parting comments, maybe something that you wanted to have said or be asked about that I didn't or didn't come up in the comment box before we go? No, I mean, I think the main message that I wanted to, to, to send is to, is grace for ourselves and to be patient with ourselves and to, we're all doing the best that we can um, and we can care for ourselves in small ways and it may look different than what, how it used to look but we can do small things every day um, by cutting out some things, by adding some things like small bits of exercise. Prayer is incredibly helpful, um, research proven to be helpful in terms of managing stress and anxiety. So these are things that you can add to your day-to-day -day routine, one minute, two minutes, three minutes here or there, um, that can actually bring you some, bring your stress down. And I think that's all what we're trying to do right now. Well, I'll say amen to that. And I'll also say uh, that if you are watching this and something struck you in a way that you have follow-up questions, um, you can reach out to either Victory Church directly, um, info at victoryseville.org. Um, if this struck a chord with you in terms of wanting to see your relationship Jesus with Jesus expand in these ways where you can discuss mental illness, please let us know. Um, and Dr. Sanders, I'm assuming that in those resources, they'll be able to find other answers to their questions. Is there a way that they can uh, maybe learn more about you, your practice, and, and what you're up to in Charlottesville? Sure, they can. Um, I'm Kim Sanders, um, MD. You can email me is probably the best way. KimSandersMD at gmail.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Lord, we just pray and thank you for this time. We thank you for refreshing us through Dr. Sanders, and we pray according to Proverbs 11.25 that she be refreshed uh, as she has refreshed us today. Uh, thank you for the ways that we can worship you. You call us and command us to love you with all of our heart, soul, and our, and our, and, and our minds. And, and I thank you for the wisdom that we received today and how we can love you better with our minds. Um, and, and we pray that we will continue to worship well with such wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.